reader mailbag. Range, learning styles, nootropics, and the value of learning things you're doomed to forget. Last week I sent out a call for questions to subscribers of my newsletter. I got a lot of good ones and so I'd like to reply to some of those questions here. Now some of the questions have been lightly edited and I merged a few questions from people that asked similar ones. Chatting with readers is always fun. Hopefully we can make this a regular feature. Question. From the bits of work I've read of yours, you seem to be an advocate of focused, targeted, and possibly quite isolated individual study learning. Also learning things that generally have answers, technical math-based subjects, languages, etc. Have you read Range by David Epstein? What's your view on learning through trial and error, experiment, sense-making of existing past experiences that were not targeted but happened to already be part of you, constructing them into your own personal specialism? Yeah, so Range is a funny book for me because in some ways I'm kind of the epitome of its thesis. I've learned a great deal of unrelated things and done a lot of random self-exploration. I write a blog about learning in part because I'm too fickle to stick to any one thing and master it completely. That said, I think there are some broad empirical findings from educational and cognitive psychology that we need to keep in mind. First, students tend to learn better in more guided and structured programs. Despite their appeal, unstructured discovery-based approaches tend to underperform against more direct teaching methods unless you're stacking the deck in their favor. That doesn't mean that learning through discovery is useless, simply that the effectiveness of learning through pure discovery doesn't really have the evidence base that people often claim it does. Second, transfer between unrelated skills tends to be fairly low. Learning tons of random things might have some benefit, but given the almost complete lack of far transfer in carefully controlled studies, I would say that the burden of proof is upon the person claiming transfer is large rather than the reverse. Ill-defined skills, and I think that's what you're talking about when you contrast it to learning things that have an answer, I don't believe are different from well-defined skills. Indeed, a lot of what learning is, is making a skill well-defined. If you don't know anything, the problem space is huge and you're unsure of tons of possibilities. As you learn more, you find better ways to represent problems and better ways to solve them. I don't think there's anything wrong with being a generalist or learning lots of things. Life's about a lot more than optimizing for a singular goal. Question. Do you have any tips or strategies to learn more efficiently from books you read? I think the most important thing is just to read more. Reading more improves your fluency and background knowledge, which increases your reading rate. People really underrate how much reading a lot improves your reading speed. Question. What about learning styles? Is being a visual learner, etc. a real thing? Eh, probably not. Daniel Willingham has a great summary of the evidence against the idea that people have learning styles. So to be a true style, it should mean that when people are presented information in their preferred modality, they learn better. Studies generally don't find that there are increased learning gains from tailoring information in this way. Sorry. Question. How many things can we learn at one time? Should we just pick one thing to get to a certain level and then move on to others? Or can we learn multiple things at the same time? Does it cause overload of our brain? Or is it capable of handling so much new info? Well, you can definitely learn multiple things in the same time frame. Most of primary and secondary schooling is based on this. I tend to discourage multiple concurrent self-directed learning projects because people overestimate what they can accomplish and end up with several weak projects instead of one effective one. But there's no cognitive reason preventing it. 
I think learning highly similar subjects in tandem can create issues. So I've never attempted to learn two different languages simultaneously, although I do recommend practicing multiple languages in close succession for maintenance. Question, do you have any supplements you swear by for focus and productivity? Caffeine? Honestly, not really anything. I'm not convinced about nootropics as something that could plausibly work with no downsides. For nootropics to make sense, you'd have to believe that the brain could work better than it does, but the internal dials dictating its performance are just set suboptimally. But why would evolution build a brain like this? If turning a dial could increase performance with no downside, it would have already done so already. Now, my guess is that the true learning focus enhancers will either have clear downside risks, so for instance, amphetamines, or they'll be targeted towards a particular deficiency disability, but they're not going to be effective for everyone. Now, I'd be happy to be proved wrong here, but I need to see a lot of evidence first. Question. I know some French as I lived in Quebec, but left 30 years ago. What's the fastest way to learn it again in preparation for a trip to France in a few months? Book some tutoring time with italki and try chatting again. For relearning, most of the issue is low fluency and self-confidence. It's less work since the knowledge is probably already in your head, it's just not as automatic. A few lessons should help you feel more fluent, which would also help with confidence, which can be a big part of speaking a language. Question. If you had to do the MIT challenge all over again, knowing what you now know about the scientific literature on learning, productivity, etc., what would you do differently and why? So I initially dreamt up the MIT challenge as, I wonder if I could learn all the computer science courses MIT teaches. And then I went further and said, I wonder if I personally could do it in 12 months if I just focused on the exams. So as such, it was somewhat contrived since the whole aim was passing exams rather than acquiring the skill for a particular purpose. I've said as much over the years, but the project would have looked different if my end goal had been landing a programming job, launching a startup, or becoming a researcher. In terms of what I know now, there's a few things that I can see as weaknesses that could have been remedied with a different approach. So I passed a lot of exams by having a decent conceptual understanding, but my procedural knowledge of algebra and calculus was weak. This led to me struggling with some of the physics-based classes, with a lot of math to wade through to compute the answer. So if I did the project over, I'd do massive drills to build up that fluency, maybe as a prerequisite project to starting the challenge itself. So similarly, while I did the programming projects in the challenge, the MIT computer science degree is actually kind of light on programming. It was a lot more theory and math. Now that's fine, but if I had intended to land a programming gig right after, I'd have spent a couple months going deep on a particular language, ensuring I could fluently implement a lot of the ideas I'd covered. Overall, I'm not sure I would have changed much about how I studied. The time frame constraints didn't leave much wiggle room to do things wildly differently. But if I had the broader goal of learning programming or computer science, I could imagine a lot of different approaches that might have been better for certain purposes. Question. Why do I enjoy reading nonfiction since most of it is forgotten? Further, why do we test high school students on content finals when we know most of the material will be forgotten? Things are forgotten, but they often still influence us in an impressionistic way. I often find my beliefs have been shifting in a direction even though I no longer recall the exact source of the argument that caused the shift. Some of what you're reading and when you're reading a book is shifting your intuitions about situations in ways that don't always leave a trace back to their original source. And that's still valuable. Thanks for listening to this episode. 
If you'd like to get five of my audiobooks for free, just go to scotthyoung.com slash podcast. That's S-C-O-T-T-H-Y-O-U-N-G dot com slash podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider rating my show as it helps other people find out about it. More of my work can be found on my website at scotthyoung.com.